to the London Outreach Center yeah. in London. We're so, so blessed that God's given us a place to minister and uh, Rise and Shine has so blessed us to be uh, able to be over this. And, and we just are so thankful, we really are. God is so good to us. So we just want to show you a little bit closer. You've seen it before, but here we go to, uh, you can see the neighborhood. And I want to show you something real important. Besides all the scriptures on the buildings. We have also a happy hour, as you can see. The happy hour. Is there a river inside of me right now wanting to break free? What if it's true? What if it's true? Is there a power alive in me? Could make a dead man walk in the blind sea? What if it's true? What if it's true? go well, does it? <laughs> well, good morning. I have an echo, but uh, that's all right. I want to echo Christ. So 
Let's uh, open the Word of God together in prayer, okay? Father, we're just thankful for who you are, God. We know who you are. Millions and millions have no idea who you are. But we do. Because of it, Lord God, you've given us the opportunity, the responsibility, Lord God, the privilege of walking with you and talking with you. You're our friend. You're our counselor. You're our savior and God. This morning we just put our lives before you afresh, new, this morning. We ask you to speak to us, oh God, in your word. Show us, Lord, your truth. Set us free, oh God, once again, from ourselves, oh God. Amen. Okay, if you open to Matthew chapter 5 with me. While you're turning there, I just want to uh, let you know I am blessed this morning, especially uh, because I'm, I'm, one of, I'm one of ten children, number nine out of ten, ten children. And uh, my oldest brother is sitting right there. And uh, his name is Ted. Some call him Vince, but, you know, I call him Ted. And uh, about 42 years ago, uh, he was instrumental in me coming to know the Lord. And uh, he brought me to a Bible study, Calvary Chapel Bible study in Naples, Florida. And, uh, well, God did the rest. So I'm particularly thankful this morning that he's with, with us here. So uh, he flew uh, from uh, Pennsylvania here, uh, particularly to, to be here today. So what an encouragement. Okay, so I want to share with you this morning about uh, something that, that um, where's my spear of walking here? Uh, I'm a wanderer, so uh, tell me if I'm in the wrong spot. Uh, what is the, what most people are, are asking themselves that I find in Christianity as they walk with God is what is the will of God in my life? You ever asked yourself that question? You might have asked yourself that question this morning. And you might have known the answer to that question. I know what the will of God is in my life. And then by the time you got to the, to the parking lot, you didn't know it anymore. A lot of Christians that are walking with God are struggling with this. But I want to encourage you this morning that the will of God for you and for me and for every other child of God is no different, never changes, and never will change. We all have the same will of God in our lives. And we're going to look at that this morning, the will of God. Will of God would be the purpose, right? The purpose of our being on this earth the purpose of what God wants to do in us. And the word of God speaks to that. So 
I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, but I'm going to cheat a little bit and share a different scripture with you while you're right there. This is the basis, really, of what the will of God is in our life. Uh, Isaiah, we, we've already heard some beautiful scripture from the book of Isaiah this morning about here I am, God, send me, right? Not to the Philippines, not to England, but right in front of us. Here I am, God. Put whoever you want in front of me. Let that be your will right in front of me so that I can walk in your will, walk in your way. Isaiah says uh, in chapter 12, you don't need to turn there if you don't want to, but I'm just going to share this. Chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, or the self-existent eternal God, Yahweh, is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. So that's the, the singular thing we all have in common that are born-again children of God, right? He has become our salvation. And this is the next step that we each have to walk in. Verse 3 says, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You notice that? That's plural. Wells of salvation. So this is the wells of salvation right here. The word of God. And so we all have this in common. That this word that we've been privileged to hold and to handle and to read is the inspired word of God. It is alive. It is powerful. It is as a double-edged sword. In Hebrews chapter twelve or chapter four, verse twelve. It divides the soul and the spirit. It gives us the understanding of right and wrong by a conviction from the Holy Spirit when we hear the word of God, and we are we are given grace from the word of God. Right. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. No other way. <laughs> no other way forward do we have of receiving the will of God in our life. But through the word and God's grace, there is a, a change that happens when you hear the word of God. There is a metamorphi, which is the, the Greek word for grace. There's a metamorphosis taking place in the word of God. When you hear it, and God transfers that or transforms that into grace into this temple. This is the temple now of the Holy Spirit. And we carry that wherever we go, right? We carry the word of God with us. And, and we share the word of God, the living word of God. And that grace influences us. It's like directing us, pushing us, 
urging us within. And so the will of God, no different for any of us. We hear it from the, hear it from the, the word of God. And then God directs us. Most of us in completely different places. But it's all for his glory, his purpose, his will. So that this is the only way that we can receive the word of God and understand the truth of God and be set free. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus begins, and Matthew chapter 5 is, begins with the Beatitudes. So it's an attitude to have, right? Be attitude. We all want a good attitude, right? All parents with children would say yes, right? A be attitude. And Jesus is going to teach this ability that we all can have within us right here. That we can draw from the wells of his salvation. We know Christ, and now we can draw from those wells that are within us when we hear the word of God. So, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So, as we know in the scriptures, everywhere Jesus went, he was crowded. He was, everyone was drawn to him. And many didn't know why. Some were curious. Many were just, you know, wanting a handout. Others were deeply touched and, and, and genuine in every area of their lives, needed him and wanted him. And we have these stories right here. But he goes up on a mountain because of that, right here. Other times he went in a boat. They wouldn't crowd him. God is not the God of, of chaos. God is the God of order. And so he goes up on a mountain. He's seated and his, and his disciples came to him. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them. So he starts here in Matthew chapter 5. And he starts speaking. Chapter 6. Chapter 7. So we're going to go over all these chapters. No, I'm just kidding. But he doesn't stop speaking until chapter 8. Or the very end of chapter 7. The last few verses. So we're going to look at this a little bit here and there. And digest what we can out of what God is, is teaching but he begins with the Beatitudes. And so he begins in verse 3, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed. What does blessed mean? Anybody? Very simple word, blessed. It means happy, right? Happy. Look at that smile. Anybody want to be happy? No? Oh, just a few of you? Okay. Everybody else, just stay the way you are. <laughs> Jesus is teaching us how to be happy. We, we need to be happy. 
We need to understand how to walk in what God deems his will is of how to be happy. And once we walk in this, then we have the right attitude. Doesn't happen the other way around. I'm going to have the right attitude and then I'm going to be happy. We try that all the time, don't we? He's teaching us how to be happy. So he begins by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Meaning, really, basically, humble. Those that think very little of themselves and a lot of God. And are willing to be taught. Teachable. Humble and teachable. Blessed are they because what's their, their, their gift? Their gift, he said, is going to be the kingdom of heaven. And that's the only way to enter in the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? We have to humble ourselves and ask Christ to be the savior of our souls and believe who he is, God in the flesh, the savior of mankind, the Messiah. And when we believe God, he changes everything in our lives. And that is permanent. It's not temporary. It's never meant to be temporary. It's not like a good cappuccino. Not like something you eat and then it's gone and you need something else. It's about the, the word of God that abides in us. He abides in us and we abide in him. We walk out. He's our home. It's where we live and where he lives. And it's all we think about. It consumes us. It's our life. And he's teaching us how to be happy. How could you not have such, what a great savior. And it's not difficult. It's not, hmm, let me think about this. It's very basic. It's very simple. So the way into the kingdom of heaven is his first beatitude, first blessing, the first happiness. You, you and I must be teachable. And then the kingdom of God is within us. And then everything else can be possible when the kingdom of God is in us. And so if the kingdom of God is in you, everything is possible with God. And nothing is impossible. And he goes on, he says, uh, blessed are those or happy are those who mourn. How could that possibly be? There's been a lot of people mourning, right? On this earth in the last few years. Death, sickness, loss. And there's going to be a lot more people mourning. But it is God's way of getting our attention back on him. And his way of showing us joy out of the ashes. Peace out of turmoil. Healing out of disease. Joy out of sorrow. Blessed are those who mourn, he said, because you'll be comforted. That's the process, right? The process of us understanding when we walk on this earth, God is the one that is going to meet every need we have, including mourning. Aren't you glad he didn't leave that one out? 
Happy are those who mourn. Why? Because there's hope in the morning. There's hope in the Lord. We can lay all our cares at him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So as we walk with God, we hunger and thirst for more, and we, all we want is God's purity. There's enough perversion out there for our minds to be distracted all the time. But if we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, we will be filled. We will want to be pure in heart, pure in mind. We'll run like Joseph ran away from the Potiphar's wife trying to entrap him, running, not caring about what was back there. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. This is the last blessing. And this is kind of out of, out of sorts all of a sudden. But Jesus left it for last. Blessed are those who are persecuted. But he adds, for righteousness' sake. Not for Steve's sake. Not for my idea of being quick-witted or my idea of answering a question or being able to deal with the situation. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for God's sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he goes right back to the very first benefit or guarantee. The first being happy, are those who are poor in spirit, who are humble and teachable. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then every other happiness is not, it's all in, in itself. Peacemakers will have peace. The, those that have the gift of being blessed in mercy will have mercy. But he ends here about persecution. And the persecution being because we are putting God first, his righteousness, his will. Do you know that, that when you put God first, all of a sudden everything else falls away? Nothing else matters. The will of God, when the will of God is first, fear is gone. Financial gain is gone. Ego is gone because he is all in all. And that's God's singular desire for you and I in our walk with God on this earth. To let his will be done. Would it surprise you if I told you that Jesus had no will of his own? He didn't. He constantly said, let thy will be done. Let thy kingdom come. He's talking to the Father. Even in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, take this cup from me. He, he sweat drops of blood. And he said, but not my will, thy will be done. That's all God desires to do in, 
our lives. You know why? Because we're going to be happy if we do his will. And we're going to be unhappy if we don't. It's not complicated. But it's a walk. It's a walk. It's one step. It's not a run. It's not looking there. It's looking here. And letting God do what God wants to do. His will be done. And we'll never know his will unless we're in his word. Jesus defeated the enemy over and over again by the word of God. Not because he spoke something that, that outwitted the, his accusers. He, he walked in the will of God. And he did it all for us so we could have the victory. So this last blessing, this last happiness, happy are those who are persecuted. He uses three verses to describe it. 10, 11, and 12, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then 11, he says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. It's an added description, what he just said. And say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Surely that's not going to happen, right? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. How should we expect anything different than those that already went before us? So one of the, the uh, Beatitudes that I want to bring up that is not in this, he, he speaks it in, in chapter 11. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. You ever, anybody ever been offended in here? Jesus says, blessed are those who are not offended in me. Those that are not offended because of me. Because of my name. Because of the life that has been changed in me. And now... Because I walk with God and I walk in his righteousness, people are angry because of Jesus in me. Not because of me. Because of me, then they, I deserve it. It's my own fault. It's because of me. This word offended, though, it's coming in a, a much greater opportunity for you and I on this earth, isn't it? The offense of the gospel. We are going to be persecuted very, very, very much in the coming years, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Without the word of God daily in us, we're not ready. I mean, this is beautiful, being together, isn't it? I mean, I'm happy. I don't know if you are. But I am. This is beautiful to me. Matter of fact, I've never seen so many people here. But that doesn't matter. Few or many with God. Many or few. But persecution's coming to the church in a great, great measure in these coming years. Are we ready? We're going to hold our breath. 
or are we going to stand with God in righteousness and let God's will be done? And they loved not their lives unto death, right? Are we ready to walk in this offense? You know what this word offended means in the Greek? Let me put it this way. It's a, it's a thinking. To be offended is a thinking that, offend, that, that um, affects the mind. It's a type of thinking. Offense. Right? You're, you're, you're thinking of something, and it affects your mind. But in reality, what this word means and what Jesus was saying, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. He was saying, blessed are those who do not have an expectation that rejects my truth. You know how easy that is to do? Have an expectation that is not God's? Because it's my expectation? Let me give you an example. That which you'll easily understand. Well, I thought it was going to be like this, and it wasn't. I thought that this, I thought God would, you know, because I was doing this, that God would do this. You ever done that? The problem is, in the first few words, well, I thought. Instead of just letting God's word and his will put before me every day, guide me into his expectation, whatever that may be. What does it matter when you're walking with God? What it is. Because he is there. Amen? He's there. And he wants to, to meet our needs. So we have this thinking that traps our mind when we have an expectation that's not the will of God. We have our own expectation. Our own desire. I thought when I was a Christian, this would happen. I thought when I, you know, started coming to church that this would happen. And instead, it didn't. And so, what's this all about, God? Right? Why are you doing this to me? And that's because we're not hearing the word of God. And God's not convicting us in his word to be teachable, poor in spirit, be ready in season and out of season. That's what the Word of God does. If this Word is not alive, why do we talk about it so much? Why is it the basis of all of our life? This Word right here is so powerful that you can be in the darkest darkness in your heart and hear two words from it and go from being wanting to, wanting to end your life to be feeling like you're on the top of the mountain. That's how powerful the word of God is it's alive and he's given it to us I want to encourage you today to start reading it more it's our source so Jesus goes on in all of these chapters and he's teaching his disciples he's teaching us how to be happy and he goes on and he we could go through a bunch of them I'm not going to um, we'll just go through a few. He says, I'm going to go over to ch chapter 7. He says, 
Uh, judge not that you be not judged, verse 1. And we say all of a sudden, I'm not going to say anything then. Otherwise, I'm going to judge. And he's, this word is actually condemn not. In other words, don't make a final decision on somebody. God has that final decision. God knows the heart. So, so he's talking about condemn not. We stop judging the way that God tells us to judge. We have no order in our lives. So he's teaching very simple things, Jesus is, to his disciples and to everyone else that would listen. And he gets to this last verse in chapter 7, last two verses, and it says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were those that handled the Word of God and interpreted the Word of God and could tell somebody supposedly what the Word of God said and the meaning of it. And so they saw Jesus as handling the Word of God and being the Word of God and walking in the Word of God because he had power, not just what we think of as authority. Authority over authorities. King of kings lord of lords nothing was impossible and they saw that in jesus the demons were subject to him every healing everything he said was alive and powerful for the pulling down of strongholds and it is today in your life and in my life but we have to let god do that we have to be teachable and we can walk in that freedom. The truth will set us free. It's not just a good saying that Jesus said. And he ends in his teaching with an astonishment from those that heard him. And they compared him with those that were supposed to be those that handled the word of God uh, in their days that were knowledgeable. And they said, well, he has authority. He has power. He's not like them. And then chapter 8, verse 5, we see really the example of all examples of all the Beatitudes and all of what Jesus said in this centurion. So let's read that. Uh, 8.5 says, And now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented and jesus said i will come and heal him now not only was this astonishing because jesus said i have come for the lost sheep of israel he said it over and over again lost tribes of israel this is a roman and a roman centurion and jesus says he's going to go right into his house and heal this this man his servant but Jesus knew what was happening here with this man he knew what this man would say after he said I will go and this man answered and said to the Lord verse 8 I am not worthy that you should come under my roof but only speak a word and my servant will be healed 
For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And my servant, to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Assuredly, I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, no, not even in all Israel. So here's a Roman centurion coming to Jesus, not for himself. He already knew Jesus. He already knew Jesus. He said, all you have to do is say a word. And I know your word has authority. Your word has power because you are the Messiah, the Son of God. I know that. I'm convinced you've You've given me that understanding. Now I'm come to you, not for me, but for my servant. This was a believer in God that now took the word of God and waited to hear it and to do the will of God. Heard it, he's ready to do it. That's who you and I are. And this was the example of everything Jesus said of how to be happy. This guy was happy. And he wasn't concerned about his own needs. Do you know when you read the Word of God, everything is affected, especially your prayer life? You start praying about other, other people because God meets your needs in His Word instead of praying about yourself most of the time. Not that that's bad, but it's more needful for us to pray for others. We get our mind off ourselves and God already meets our needs in His Word. This is the will of God that he's prepared for us in our lives. And God saw this Roman centurion, and this Roman centurion caused Jesus to do something that he didn't do ever before. Marvel. He never marveled before for belief. He marveled at unbelief. I mean, how could you not look at all the things that he did on the earth? How could you not marvel that, you know, he is more than a man? That this must be God in the flesh. Even the scribes were saying, he blasphemes. He, he, he says, rise, your sins are forgiven. They said, only God can forgive sins. But they didn't put the two to two together because they didn't want to believe. And saying this is the Messiah. So we know the Messiah. We understand the truth that sets us free. And now we need to be constantly set free. Over and over and over again. Our mind consumed with that. Let me share you, with you a story. Uh, as I finish. So you saw the outreach center. And you saw the... the, the uh, sign that we put out um, when we're open during the week several times and uh, you know happy hour happy hour is uh, to me the word of God hour and uh, I was putting out this sign one day and this young man came up and uh, a young 22 year old guy 20 year old guy and he was walking by and he was uh power lifting his legs were bigger than yours I hate to say it but yeah 
And uh, he took a picture of her cross on the, on the building. And uh, I, I asked him, I said, what, what you taking that a picture of the cross for? Does that mean something to you? And opened up the conversation, and, and he came in, and I gave him a Bible, and I said, start reading in, in uh, Genesis, and read through all the way to Revelation. He said, unbelievably, you're not, you're not going to believe what he said. <laughs> he said, okay. <laughs> he came back uh, uh, for, for our service with the Bible in his hand. Long story short, I started a, a uh, Bible college session about two weeks later, not knowing there would be going to be a complete lockdown in London for the so-called pandemic and nobody could go anywhere and so we had six months straight of Bible college and in the first uh, session this young man from Slovakia got saved in the Bible college first session so let me fast forward to to, with to uh, I got four minutes so we have uh, in the building, we live on the top two floors, and we, we do everything in the building. We're the, uh, the first homeschool resource library for, for uh, homeschoolers. We have a huge room of about 6,000 books for curriculum. Um, and so we have people coming from countries all over the world uh, that li have come to London. And uh, my wife is a librarian. And we get to minister to so many people that way. We have so many things going on there, but one of them is counseling. You know the world is looking for, for counseling. Did you know that? They're looking for you and for I, myself, to share with them the Word of God. That's counsel. They're wondering, what's going on? And I got a ring on the doorbell, uh, and I went downstairs to open the curtain, I don't let anybody in. Sometimes it's a drunk wanting to, wondering why the pub, the door's shut because they haven't looked at the scriptures up top, realizing it's not a pub anymore. But I understand it looks like a pub. We left it like that on purpose. But I, I, I looked at, in the window and there was this man, and I want you to give me a little bit of slack here when I share this with you, but I looked out the window and I saw this guy and he's standing there like this. Yeah. And I opened the door and I said, hi. I said, can I help you? And he said, yeah. Uh, I, can I come in? I, I, I've got, I, I'm really in trouble. I need some help. And I said, yeah, come on in. And his name was Frank. And Frank started describing to me his life of homosexuality. And he had come to know Christ three years prior, and God delivered him of it. But the six year, six months, sorry, six to eight months at that time, he had gone back into it. Grossly gone back into it. And he, after about 10 minutes of describing, I said, I don't need to hear anything more, Frank, I understand. And he was going to, to churches and he was actually teaching in the church how to get saved. You know, they had a Bible program. And he asked me, he said, can you help me? And I looked at Frank and I said, 
I'm sorry, Frank, I can't help you. He said, you can't? I said, no, I can't help you. He said, but I know what can help you if you're willing. He said, what? And I went and got a Bible, and I said, Frank, I said, you have gone away from this in your life. And you have slowly in your mind accepted the things of the world that were there, and you let it happen. It was a choice after choice after choice, and you are where you are at now because of your choice. Not God's choice, your choice. And you know that. And he said, I do know that. And I said, now, I want you to take this Bible. He said, I've got a Bible. I said, no, take this one. It'll mean something to you. And I want you to, have you heard this yet from me? I want you to start in Revelation, or start in Genesis, rather. And I want you to start reading all the way through to Revelation. Three to four hours a day. And he said, I can do that. I said, okay. I said, we'll meet once a week. If you want, he said, I would like that. And I said, I want you to bring a, a, a little notebook that, and you've only wrote, wrote on that what God has spoke to you. I want you to just keep reading. Don't study. Just let God speak to you. Open the Bible and say, God, speak to me today. And let God just speak to you as you read through the whole Bible. Well, Tuesday came for him to, for us to, you know, to meet. And guess what? Frank didn't show up. Didn't show up the next Tuesday. And I'm at Speaker's Corner about four months later, three and a half, four months later, and I'm preaching on the ladder, and I always get down. After I'm done preaching, I say it right before I get down. I say, if anybody desires to talk about what we've been discussing and debating and what I've been preaching, you're, well, I'm going to get down, and, and you can come up and we'll talk. If you want to argue, I always point to somebody else, go over there. There are a lot of the other people there. So, two guys came up, and they wanted to know about what it meant to be, be born of God's Spirit. I was talking to them and for about five minutes, and then another guy walked up. And I saw him, and I, I said, do you understand what we're talking about? Because he was listening for a little bit. He said, yes, I do. I understand exactly what you're saying. I said, Okay. Well, after these guys, these other two left, I turned to this, this other guy and I said, hi, my name's Steve, what's your name? And he said, Steve, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no, I don't, I'm sorry, what's your name? He said, Steve, I'm Frank. And I said, really? You're Frank? I said, I never could have recognized you, Frank. He said, for the last four months, I've been reading the Bible for three to four hours a day, like you said, and God has so changed me. I've read the Bible through many times. He said, the word of God is so alive. It's changed me. I am who I am now because of the word of God. God has given me back what I lost, and I'll never go back. I'll never stop reading the word of God every day. And I said, I would have never even known it was you, Frank. All your mannerisms, everything is different. He said, thank you, I needed to hear that. But then he said, but it's kind of hard now. 
it's hard to find a good church because he's comparing it with the word of God now instead of a good church. Are, we, are you and I any different than Frank? We're not. We're not any different at all than Frank. We have our degrees of walking away from God. It's all right there, right? It's all right there. That's the problem, our thinking. And God, through his word, wants to put his word in his temple, transform his word into grace that influences us to walk in his will and wash our minds daily. Daily. I take a shower every day. I don't know about you. I at least wash my face. Right? But the word of God washes everything. So let's pray. Let's walk together in this race. Let's finish well together as a body. Amen? Seeking the word of God and his will. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy, O oh God. You are worthy of honor and praise. You are worthy in our lives, Lord God, for all of us. Lord, we want all of you in all of us. We want you to bless our marriage, our friends, Lord God, our children, our relationships with this, this dying world, Lord. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Oh, God, you said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You said, take my yoke upon you, for I'm gentle. I'm gentle. You're gentle, oh, God. You said that you would give us your yoke, which is easy. No, Lord, we, I'm tired of my own yoke. Lord, if this is your prayer, I'm tired of my own yoke. Put your yoke on me, oh God. It's easy, it's gentle. I'm tired of trying to do something to please you. I want your word to just compel me to please you. Oh God, you did it all on the cross. You are my righteousness. And I seek you now. Father, we are thankful that you're gentle. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, that we will find rest unto our souls. Set us free by your truth, O God. And we rest in you this morning.